The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Time for The Last Word on the Environment with John Gibbons. And actually, I just want to emphasise, it's the environment. It isn't just man-made global warming that we discuss. And environmental issue is a safety issue for pedestrians and motorists on our roads. And that's something that you want to take up, something that you describe as the entitled attitude of many motorists. Why? Uh, Good evening, Matt. I'll start off, first of all, in saying that, like most people listening today, I'm a motorist from time to time, I'm a pedestrian pretty regularly, and I'm a public transport user. In other words, we're all of the above. So I try not to stick uh, kind of labels on people saying that these guys are bad guys and these guys are good guys. We're all a bit of the above. But the particular incident that really I wanted to introduce today happened a few days ago. And I was with my daughter. Now, she's college age, so this isn't a kid. And two of her friends were were crossing the, the street in Dunleary. And you'd kind of think in a, in a town that you'd have pedestrian priority, but nothing of the sort. Anyway, the three of them were making their way across the street. And basically, a car came out of a side street and accelerated towards them. And I mean, really put the boot down. They could see him coming. The three of them had to scatter in three different directions. And as this guy speeded past, he sat on the horn. Now, they were simply crossing the street. Now, yeah, they probably could have gone up 300 metres. They were jaywalking, perhaps. Yeah, jaywalking, exactly. But unfortunately, we have designed our towns, our town centres, to be be cut apart by roads. And the issue of... Sorry, actually, I just cut across you there. It strikes me, we actually have a system whereby we give precedence to people in cars over pedestrians so that even if a, a car driver could potentially do damage in a situation like that, where they've come off a side street onto a main street, they find that there are people on the street. Now, they might say those people shouldn't be there. That still doesn't entitle them to accelerate towards them and to honk them off the road as if to say, good enough for you if I'd hit you. Exactly. And I suspect the person driving this car isn't a monster. Maybe he's listened to us this afternoon in his car. He probably didn't even think twice about the incident, but the likelihood is that he's may well have kids that age himself. But it's just this sense, you, you introduced it as this entitlement that can occur to any of us when we get behind the wheel of a car, particularly, I'm sorry to say, a big vehicle. Those large vehicles that we've seen, they've been scaled up and up and up. And what it does essentially is it cuts us off from the experience of the street. If you're walking down the street or you're cycling or whatever, you can hear the sounds around you. you you've got a sense, you've a sort of spatial awareness, Matt. When you're in a car, you've got the music on, you've got your electronics flashing at you on the dashboard, maybe you've got all kinds of maps and things whizzing and banging. And next thing, some pesky pedestrian gets in the way and bang, you're on it. Now, the issue here really is this man, and I'm sure a very decent person, if you met him on the on the street, nearly killed one or two or even three people the other day. And yet we didn't even report it. It was so banal. And I think it's the banality of it really when I thought about it afterwards that really stayed with me, that those those young women expected to have to jump out of the way and run for their lives because they just assume that some guy in a car is going to just whiz straight through them. And it's, it's quite remarkable. As I said, I doubt very much that this person is a monster and I doubt very much that this is how he would behave if he were walking down the street as a pedestrian. But there is a sort of a psychological isolation and there's a concept, Matt, that they call uh, motor, motor normativity. And this basically is a change in our behaviour that happens to many of us when we get behind the wheel of, 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 a, of, a, of a vehicle. It's all often sometimes known as road rage, where we become separated, isolated and entitled. Now, what's happening and at the moment is 
vehicles, as we've already said, are getting bigger. Now, Dublin as a case this in point. This is something we discussed on Indeed. the programme yeah. this week, yes. Dublin as a case in point. But I could be talking about Cork, I could be talking about Limerick or, or Galway. Our towns and cities, their structures are medieval. They were never designed for 17 feet long and 7 feet wide, fast-moving vehicles. They were designed for horse and traps and for carriages. We've now, if you like, superimposed them on those streetscapes. But which, which makes cycling more dangerous. This, this is, is the thing that really strikes me and one of the reasons why I no longer cycle around the city centre or even further afield because the bigger the cars get, the less space there is. And also the amount of disregard shown for cyclists, even when they're in cycle lanes. And I've observed this a few times in recent weeks where I've been terrified almost for the cyclists who were in cycle lanes and have had things like buses because there's not enough room on the roads, coming partially into the cycle lanes, are the buses heading for the bus stop a hundred yards down the road, cutting into the cycle lanes prematurely uh, so that they don't lose much time and almost crushing the cyclist who is legitimately in the cycle lane. Well, that's been my experience as well. I Again, I'm, I'm an occasional cyclist. I have my Dublin bike subscription. But I find, Matt, that when I'm in the city, uh, which is several times a week, I walk. I don't bother with cycling because, like yourself, I just find it scary. And isn't it a strange thing that the, an adult would be scared to cycle around our own city? So I think something has gone seriously awry here. And a lot of it has to do with planning. And things we've talked about before, for example, we really need to slow down the traffic in our cities. Listener says the RSA rules of the road state that pedestrians, capital, always have priority. Now, they may always have priority according to the rules of the road, but that is not the reality of how they get treated by some by some motors. That's right. In fact, I, I've kind of, maybe it's the, the contrarian in me, but you know when you're passing a stop sign, where, where there's an actual stop sign written in white on the road. Now, when I'm walking across as a pedestrian uh, and a car is coming towards that, I make a point, I do keep an eye on them, but I make a point of continuing to walk to encourage that car to come to a complete halt. Because this is in the rules of the road for anybody who's done a test. When you come to a stop sign, your vehicle has to stop completely. Not You're not allowed to roll through a stop sign. And when you're, when you're there, you're supposed to give priority to pedestrians. But the issue really here, Matt, is that's not much use to you if you're in hospital or up in the mortuary. Listener, Patrick says, nobody uses the zebra crossing will cross anywhere but the crossing that is provided. But Patrick, there's another listener who points out that there is no such thing as jaywalking in Ireland, that although you're supposed to, for safety, go to the zebra crossing or go to the traffic lights, there are no laws to stop you crossing the road anywhere else, are there? No, there aren't. And uh, if I can give a, a compare and contrast, in, in France, in many French towns, Matt, they have a situation where about every 80 to 100 metres, there is a zebra crossing. Now, the result of that is it effectively works as traffic calming in the towns because there is simply no point in putting the boot down between uh, zebra crossings. So what you get basically is a zone maybe of a 1,000 or 1,500 metres through a town or through a village where it's, it's crossing after crossing after crossing. And remember, the, in every case the driver is liable. And probably the final thing I, I, I would like to throw into the pot on this, if you like, is that in several European countries, the law basically means that the larger vehicle, whether you're driving a bus, a van, a car, whatever, if you collide with a vulnerable road user, you are primarily legally responsible. Okay, this listener said, how many cyclists or pedestrians have headphones in and don't give a damn? 
Yes, the driver was wrong and shows aggressive behaviour, but one cannot paint all monsters the same way. Did your daughter or any of the friends have headphones in? I, I honestly don't know. But I but do it, make the point, though, that you do not have the right to kill people because they're, they're wearing, wearing headphones. headphones. But it is a fair point, though. Cyclists mm. probably should not be wearing headphones. And there possibly are cases where pedestrians go to crossroads. They're not actually paying necessarily as much attention as they should be because they have headphones in. I, if that, and I'm assuming that that person who, who contacted you there is a driver, I assume that person doesn't have a stereo system in their car. And if they do, Matt, I imagine they never use it. Now, this is nonsense. I mean, a stereo system blasting away in a car is every bit as distracting. For example, I wore headphones coming in here today. Now, they're at a volume that I can, I, they're, they're not padded headphones. They're Matt, not so, noise cancelling. Yeah, they're not noise cancelling. So I have, a, I have a spatial awareness because like I'm crossing streets and so on. So I can be listening to the last word on my way in, but I can also make sure that that is not my last word. Okay. What do you make of Money Point power station to be kept open now until 2029? Yeah, this is a funny one. Money Point has been there since about 85. It was originally commissioned uh, back in the 80s as a coal-fired station, probably back when we weren't really thinking about things like global warming. This is down in County Clare. That's right. It's it's on the peninsula in Clare and again, probably originally designed down there for easy access, Matt, for bringing in bulk fuels. So you can bring coal or whatever uh, up the the Foynes estuary into Money Point. But yeah, the plan basically was that money point was to be was to be phased out by 2025 and what and the plan from the ESB was basically to get money point off the grid because uh, kilowatt for kilowatt uh, coal fired uh, energy production is pretty much the worst thing we can do so so getting money point off the grid was the plan i think a few things have happened along the way uh, for example, back in 21-22, we had a, two of our larger gas-fired plants went offline for service and they were basically out of commission. And that put pressure and it, it meant that Money Point has been kept there as a reserve. Now, the plan, as I understand it now, uh, ESB are, are rolling back and they're saying they're planning to keep Money Point online until now, until 2029. And curiously, they're proposing to convert it to oil even though at the moment it's a coal-burning plant. Now, apparently, it was originally specified back in the 80s to be an oil-burning plant. So I'm guessing if there's any thermal engineers out there, they might clarify that for us. But essentially, it seems to be fairly straightforward. Uh, I mean, essentially, whether you're burning oil or burning coal, that's simply about the heat source. But the intention here is to keep this online until 2029. And the effect, Matt, is that this is going to really hit our climate targets in the electricity and energy sector pretty hard because uh, we had planned to have this out out off off grid in that time. We know, for example, that Money Point uh, is likely just burning oil is likely to add fourteen percent of the total share uh, of fossil fuels in power generation in Ireland just by converting to oil in that period. So obviously, we want to get these fossil fuel plants off the grid as quickly as possible. The issue, of course, among others, has been uh, we've had a huge increase, for example, in the number of data centres that have added that are drawing huge amounts of power. And as I'm sure you've spoken many times in the programme, one data centre can be have the same electricity consumption of a town the size of Kilkenny. So when we've added dozens of these data centres in a very compressed time period, we're carrying pro rata more data centres than any other country in Europe. That has strained the electrical grid. It means that we, we that the kind of uh, services that we should be spinning down and taking offline, like Money Point, we have to keep them there because, of course, the one thing we want to avoid in all of this is the lights going out. Well, I'll talk to you more about the data centres another day because I would have a view that it's a bit more complicated than the way you're just expressing it. We'll do that at another date because there's a listener now who says, has John Gibbons ever had a good news story for you? Well, I think you have a story to 
finish, which I think you would regard as good news. I think so, yeah. I mean, this is basically a climate litigation case. Uh, and this has been taken uh, to the European Court of Human Rights by six young activists, or young people, let's call them, from Portugal. And they're making the point that, that a whole bunch of European countries have a legal duty to act more urgently on the climate crisis and that those countries are in dereliction of their duty. So what we have, if you like, these are citizen legal actions, Matt, because let's be honest, uh, we have looked to our politicians to act on the climate emergency and by and large they have completely failed. That leaves citizens very few options. Yeah, you can march up and down the street and all so the rest you of You can them. elect politicians who will do as you want. You can if you wish but it turns out that uh, the, 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 the green vote, the green stump remains as you well know uh, a minority proposition in Ireland. If you take all the parties in, in Ireland that would have, have you know the slightest hint of green in their agenda, between them I doubt they manage 10% of the vote. So whatever people tell pollsters about uh, all the good things they want to do, 90% of us do not vote that way. So I think we have to accept that that's the reality that we're stuck with. Now, what I think is particularly interesting, and to be quite frank, completely alarming, is the legal opinion coming from the Irish state. Because the Irish state, of course, has got involved in this case, and they've put forward a legal opinion. And Ireland, Ireland Incorporated, this presumably is through the good offices of the Attorney General's office, they've said that the risks of climate change are, quote, negligible in comparison to the environmental hazards inherent to life in a modern city. Now, when I heard that and when I read that, my jaw dropped to the floor. Now, maybe this is simply a case of a lawyer trying to be clever. Trying to suggest, for example, that the normal things, in fact, some of the things we've just talked about, getting getting walloped by a bus, uh, you know... uh, air pollution uh, that you might occur in a normal city are less critical than the climate emergency. It's, It's really breathtaking. And what I think what anybody should be deeply concerned about is that we have people in our law offices in Ireland so completely and absolutely ignorant about the climate emergency that they're prepared to sign their names to opinions like this. It, it, it really, it takes the breath away. Okay, just a couple of comments coming in from listeners to finish. One from a listener who says he's an engineer on MoneyPoint says MoneyPoint will be finished burning coal by 2025, could always burn oil, but then it'll be 100% on oil until 2029. Uh, another one here says that uh, I'm a uh, daily pedestrian. On the way home the other evening, saw a guy with earphones and step with a green light for cars, looked one way, but not the other. And only for a car slowing completely, he'd have been hit. But cars breaking red lights is a huge epidemic and a serious problem for pedestrian safety, says Grace in Dublin. Another one says, what about Germany with the two biggest coal mines in Europe refusing to close them until 2050? producing a brown coal which is only 15% efficient. Yeah, they are doing that and one of the problems is is they decided to shut their nuclear plants which they'd have been much better off keeping instead. That's right. In fact, the, the brown coal they're referring to there is lignite and it's it's next to burning peat. It's the second most inefficient uh, fossil fuel that we can burn. And you're absolutely right. In fact, there were some shocking images uh, a couple of years ago, Matt, of wind turbines in, in Germany being dismantled to allow the expansion of a lignite plant. Yeah, Germany leads on many things but the certain things that they're really remarkably backward on. Uh, the, whole mo- the whole motor sector is one and I'm afraid energy is another. And Lauren Dublin says the people have chosen not to elect green politicians. It's called democracy. Well, there are 12 green TDs in the Doyle that, who are members of the government. Yeah, and there's also... Par- 
politicians in other parties, I'm sure the, the Social Democrats, some people in the Labour Party, people for example. Profit, yes, some they people for profit. There are people within Sinn Féin, they're not a minority, sorry, they're not a majority, there are people within uh, the government parties, there are people, one or two people even within Fianna Fáil, I, I, I guess there's somebody in Fianna Gael, I just haven't met them yet, uh, who have some awareness of the climate emergency, but it, it still remains a minority sport. Thank you very much, John Gibbons. We'll see you again next Thursday. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today, F-